I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. I need to read more books. I've referenced uh, that Wisdom of Crowds book I read. I read that years ago. I miss, I miss finding like delicious little pit bits of information that you can find in books. I was reminded this morning of another book I read, uh, th- this time going back a number of years itself. Uh, it's called Endurance, My Year in Space, A Lifetime of Discovery. It was authored by Scott Kelly, and it chronicles not only his life, but also the time he spent nearly 365 days on the International Space Station. Now, why do I bring that now, up now? Well, uh, early this morning, just after just after 2.30 a.m., an email appeared in my inbox from Patrick Wiggins. Uh, Patrick Wiggins, as you well know, is uh, the NASA Jet Propulsion Lab Solar System Ambassador to Utah. And whenever there is a question of space and NASA to arise, it is uh, Patrick Wiggins who is able to answer it for us. And this time, uh, he was working proactively, uh, letting us all know that we have, as humanity, reached a very, very interesting milestone today. Uh, Today marks 20 years straight that human beings have been in space on board the International Space Station. It's a fascinating triumph. And uh, and you know what? If I'm honest, on any other day, I may not be impacted as I have been by this story. But with the proximity to the election, with the division that has been on display uh, so exhaustively, over the past number of months, and honestly years, to be reminded that humanity in one area of life has come together in such a fantastic way that we, for now two decades, have been able to maintain something so technologically complex, something so massive, something so consequential to the way we live our lives in terms of scientific discovery and cooperation, that it gave me uh, some hope, some hope that uh, if I'm honest, and I'm, I don't want to be pessimistic and I'm not doomy or gloomy or anything like that, but uh, it was refreshing to be reminded of what uh, we are capable as human beings. Three, two, one. We have ignition. We have ignition and liftoff. Liftoff of the Soyuz rocket, beginning the first expedition to the International Space Station and setting the stage for permanent human presence in space. That was NASA astronaut William Shepard. Since William Shepard made it to the International Space Station along with his uh, two fellow Russian cosmonauts, there have been human beings in space for now two straight decades. To help us understand the magnitude of that and what exactly it means and what it takes to pull it off, uh, Patrick Wiggins uh, joins us now. Mr. Wiggins, sir, how are you? I'm having so much fun today. I'm walking around outside. This is beautiful weather, so I'm taking advantage of it. 
First, let me thank you for sending that email. If you hadn't, I probably would have known about this anniversary, and so I am grateful to you not only for uh, you know the piece of trivia that it is, but also uh, for the parallels that I've been drawn throughout the afternoon uh, in terms of what we are capable uh, as human beings. How, how massive is this? What, what is, is there anything in terms of scale that even comes close to this accomplishment? Oh, maybe the Great Wall of China. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I mean, and when you consider that numerous countries, including, of course, the Russians, uh, you know, I spent half my adult life in the military, and the Russians were the bad guys. And now, and for many years now, we have been uh, up in space with them, not to mention other countries as well. So it's just kind of neat. It's almost Star Trek-like, where you've got a, a multinational crew, and that's what it's always been. I don't think there's ever been a time when ISS has been uh, inhabited by just members of one country. It's always multiple countries up there. Since that day, two years ago, 241 individuals have come and gone from the station, 19 countries, uh, and have required it's required the cooperation and collaboration of nine or of 15 nations to build the the space station. How is it, uh, Patrick, that we're able to accomplish this task with this level of cooperation, and yet we don't see it elsewhere? Yeah, it it kind of blows me away too. I mean, we look at everything that's going on here on Earth fighting, wars, and the whole thing. But up there, uh, well, I've heard from more than one astronaut, that once you get up there, and I really hope to get up there someday, once you get up there, you know, the lines between countries disappear. And it's just one big, I would say, small planet. Uh, it's not much out there in the, con- in the vastness of space. So, uh, yeah, maybe that's what it is. People get up there and they just realize, hey, this stuff on the ground just isn't worth fighting. Let's, uh, let's get together as humankind up in space. What will the space station look like 20 years from now? Uh, that's assuming it'll still be there. It's not a permanent thing, not by any means. There have been several space stations that have come before, but uh, this one has lasted longer than any of the others. Uh, and there are possibilities it could stay up there for another 20, but uh, with luck, we might have something even fancier up there. Uh, of course, the way Elon Musk is going, he may have people on Mars by then, so <laughs> who knows? But uh, fingers crossed, uh, the thing keeps working. They did spring a leak, actually, recently in one of the modules, but they fixed that. And it's it's like any other machine. Over time, it needs maintenance, and we've got some really smart people out there, and as well, of course, working on the ground uh, to keep the thing flying. Not, not to put you on the spot, but uh, do you know the makeup of the crew on the ISS right now? Uh, there's the Russian, and I want to say two... No, I'd be guessing, so I better not. Okay. But uh, there's at least a Russian and an American. Uh, in uh, a few days, we're going to have uh, Elon Musk, actually, with one of his rockets, is going to be sending a multinational crew in another crew, Dragon, as it's called. Mm-hmm. And so that's just going to add to the multinationality, if that's a word, of what's going on up there. Uh, while, while I have you here, just to take advantage of your expertise or any insight you might have, did we find water on, Mar- on the moon the other day? Well, we found water on the moon a long time ago. <laughs> uh, we've we've 
suspected for literally years that there was water up there in the craters at the North and South Pole that are never exposed to sunlight. Uh, but in the same situation, we found water on Mercury, uh, closest planet to the sun. But the thing that kind of surprised a lot of people is that now we're finding evidence of water on parts of the moon that are exposed to sunlight. And one that over time that would uh, simply evaporate into space. But nope, it's there. Water is important because once we've got humans walking around up there, they're going to need water for all kinds of reasons. So we're glad to see that it's there and we don't have to pay a lot of money to bring it up from Earth. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Wiggins, I enjoy our conversations maybe more than any other chat I get to have on this program. Thank you so much for uh, for following this stuff. Thank you for uh, making it understandable for uh, for guys like me. And thank you for always keeping us informed. Well, if people want to see the space station coming up, and as a matter of fact, I think that's in the email I sent you. There's information on where people will be able to go out and look up and see it because it actually is bright and easy to see. Looks like a slow-moving bright star moving across the sky. Yeah, that's right. Patrick Wiggins, thank you, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and you're right. I've just pulled up this email here. The next two times, the new, new, new next few occasions where Utahns will have an opportunity to look up and see the International Space Station with the naked eye uh, here on Saturday the 7th. Uh, you can see that passing overhead at 637 and then the following morning around 550. Uh, Patrick Wiggins, uh, NASA JPL Solar System Ambassador to Utah, uh, thanks as always for your time. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we return, we need to shift gears a little bit and look at uh, a COVID-19 vaccine. There have been uh, some updated predictions handed down by Dr. Fauci. I'll share those with you, and we'll talk about what it could mean for the way we live our lives for the next year, even two years. That's up next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.